Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Back at the end of the 1700s, so just right around post-Revolutionary War period, the Western church, the church in, in America and in most of Europe, had really lost its burden for evangelizing the nations, for fulfilling the Great Commission. They saw the Great Commission in Matthew 28 as something that was for the original disciples that didn't apply in the same way to them. And a man named William Carey changed that. He was a a British man, and he was powerfully saved by God. And as he was studying the scriptures, he came across the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that call to go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, that's for us. That call is for all Christians in all places at all times. That's the burden of the Christian until Christ returns that we would share the gospel to the nations. And so he went. He, he went from Britain to India, and he devoted his life to spreading the gospel in India. And the Lord did a, a mighty work in and through him in India. But more than that, the Lord used William Carey to spark what we know as the modern missions movement. So what you and I think of when we think of missionaries is because of what the Lord did through William Carey in the 1700s. And we love to hear stories about missionaries. We love to talk about the ones who go to fulfill the Great Commission. But what does it mean for us? What about those of us who are called to stay? What about those of us who are here planted in Humboldt? What does that uh, burden for the nations look like for us? This morning, I'd like to spend uh, a few minutes, and I'm, I'm praying that God would stir our hearts as a church in these few minutes for that burden for the nations, that he would help us to see what it looks like to be a faithful church and participate in the global spread of the gospel. And so we're going to look at 3 John, this little book at the end of the New Testament, 3 John verses 5 through 8. And, and there, the Apostle John, he gives us five, or excuse me, four assertions, four truths that if, if those truths would, would really soak in at Oak Hill, if, if they would get into our collective consciousness as a body of believers, the Lord could use that to help us be a faithful church, to be a church that's a good thing, not just here, but out there. So let's look at, at 3 John 5 through 8. The Apostle John says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So this letter, the Apostle John wrote this letter to a man named Gaius. And Gaius was either uh, the host of this church in his his hometown or or also the pastor 
of that church. And so this letter was given to this church, this just short little letter. And in these verses of of that letter, John commends the church for the way that they are supporting missionaries. And so we can draw out these four assertions from what what John says to commend the church uh, in Gaius' home. First, Jesus intends for his people to take the gospel to the nations. Verse 7, John says, They have gone out for the sake of the name. That's what a missionary is. A missionary is someone who leaves their home context and goes somewhere that people don't know Jesus so that they would know Jesus. They go out for the sake of the name. And then verse 8, he says that when we support people like this, we are fellow workers for the truth, which means that these missionaries are workers for the truth. A missionary is someone who goes out for the name of Jesus so that other people would know the truth about Jesus. And that, that burden to go out for the name of Jesus comes from the Great Commission. So let's, let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as Jesus is preparing to ascend back into heaven after his resurrection, he, his last charge to his disciples is go make disciples. Where do we go make disciples? Everywhere. Everywhere there are people, we are called as Christians to go and tell them about King Jesus and teach them to follow him. And so we, we as individuals and, and we as a church, we won't do that. We won't go tell people about Jesus. We won't have the burden for other people to, to care about the name of Jesus if we don't feel that burden, if we don't care about the name of Jesus. We're not going to care about the, the gospel going to the nations if we don't care about the truth of the gospel. We won't be concerned with whether people in Japan are knowing the truth about Jesus unless we are concerned about the truth about Jesus. You can't just muster up this, okay, let's, let's work hard for the, for the unreached, right? It, it needs to come as an overflow of our personal love for Jesus, We have to be so filled up with Jesus, so in love with Jesus personally. The name of Jesus needs to be so glorious to us as individuals and as a church that it just spills out. And we begin to look around and we say, there's people in my community that don't know Jesus. I need to go tell them about Jesus. And not only that, there are people everywhere on the other side of the world that don't know about Jesus. I need to go tell them. So the most important thing that we can do as individuals or as a church when it comes to outreach to the nations is for us personally to cultivate our love for the name of Jesus. For us to care about the truth of the gospel. So so we, we should meditate on Jesus. 
We should look to Jesus, the first missionary, Jesus who left his father's throne, left the comforts and the honor of heaven, and made himself low, came down to live among us, right? Went cross-cultural, incarnated himself among other people, got to know them, learned about them, shared the truth with them, loved them, served them, and ultimately died for us, right? Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died for us so that we could be with him. So that reality needs to to fill us up and then spill out to a burden for for the nations. And, And that should happen in the context of congregational worship. As a church body, we should be fostering that love together. Look at, look at Acts 13 to see an example of this. This is the church in Antioch. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So you see what happened first. They're, they're worshiping and praying and fasting together. They're, they are pursuing Jesus as a church. And as they're pursuing Jesus, the Holy Spirit puts on the church's heart, hey, set apart these two guys for gospel ministry. Set apart Barnabas and Paul and send them to the nations. It's an overflow of their worship. The second assertion, the second truth that we see in the the passage is that the gospel must always be presented to unbelievers free of charge. Verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, why does that matter? Why, why, does, why does the financial piece matter in terms of gospel ministry? When people go out for the sake of the name, we have to keep money out of the equation when they're presenting the gospel. In, in Acts chapter 8, Peter and some others are, are doing evangelism. They're preaching the good news about Jesus. And a man named Simon embraces Jesus and, and, and moves toward the good news about Jesus. And Simon was a magician or a sorcerer, right? Simon was really concerned with these magical powers. And Simon hears about Jesus and begins following Peter. And he sees that Peter has been performing these miracles, that Peter has a power. And so Simon goes to Peter and asks to buy the, the power of the Holy Spirit from him. Hey, Peter, can I, can I purchase the Holy Spirit from you? And Peter just recoils. And he says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Right? As Christians, that idea should make us sick. Right? We were freely given grace from Jesus. Right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so 
Heaven forbid that anyone ever gets the impression from us that the only way to have Jesus is to pay for him, right? And so when, when we send people to preach the gospel, we want them to make it crystal clear that you, don't, you can't buy Jesus. You can only receive Jesus as a free gift. Missionaries go out and they say, I had nothing. Jesus met me, gave me the gift of salvation, and he's offering it to you as well. Not for any price, but just for your heart, right? And so the principle is that we should never say to someone, hey, we want your money and we'll give you Jesus. But hey, here's Jesus. You can have him for nothing. Jesus is not only for people who can afford him, because no one can. Jesus is for anyone. One, one thing that I love is that Oak Hill supports missionaries who focus on the poor and disadvantaged, like uh, Don Shire working with people in Haiti and in India, the Shramics working with Syrian refugees in Jordan. These are disadvantaged people with not much to offer, right? But we also support people like Mark and Mackie Walter who are in Japan. And the people that they're ministering to are affluent. They're doing well. They have everything they need financially and materially because both of those groups need Jesus. Whether you're poor or rich, you need Jesus. And so we support missionaries to both and everything in between. It doesn't matter who you are, you are lost unless you have Jesus. And so we want to present the gospel free of charge. Which brings us to that third point, that faithful churches are financially generous toward those who are advancing the gospel. In verse 5, John says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. And then down in verse 8, Therefore we ought to support people like these. So one of the factors in, this, in that church being a faithful church is that they were supporting gospel outreach. That makes sense. That should make sense to us. That's the next logical step here. If, if we care about the gospel going to the nations, and if the gospel presentation needs to be uh, free of charge, then who's going to pay the bill? And the answer is us. So Christians who leave home to go where people need to hear about Jesus, they still need to eat. They still need to be able to go to the dentist. They tend to do better if they have a house, right? They, they need to cover their kids' education expenses. And so where's that money going to come from? If they can't charge for the gospel, then where's that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from us. We are helping them. We are supporting them in what they need. In order to allow them to do their work, which we believe is vitally important work, we want to cover them financially. So we're saying to these missionaries, we love you, we love what you do, and let us take care of the financial side. And Paul actually asks for this in Romans 15. So the letter to the Romans, 
Paul wrote this letter. Paul had never met these churches in Rome. Paul didn't know these Christians, but Paul was a missionary and Paul was traveling around sharing the gospel. And Paul's intention was to stop in Rome and meet these Christians and then to pass, to continue on his journey to Spain. And so look at what he asks of the church. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul says, I'm coming. I'm going to come visit you. And when I leave, I hope to be helped on my journey. Paul's not asking for a pat on the back and maybe a sandwich. Paul's saying, I'm headed out to do gospel ministry and I'm hoping you'll pay for it. I'm going to go, you're going to stay, but I need some of your money to make this work. It's the same principle for paying pastors of a local church. As a congregation, your goal is to free up your pastors to invest their working hours in church ministry. The congregation recognizes that there's value in that, that if they can set people aside to devote their working hours to gospel ministry, they'll be able to accomplish more than if they had to go get an outside job, right? And as a pastor, we, I'm grateful for that. I feel blessed and, and fortunate to be given that opportunity. It's, it's a good thing, and, and you are a generous church. It's a privilege as a pastor to be able to be financially supported by your church. And so we're doing the same thing for these missionaries. And the principle in, in the passage, verse 6, he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. The principle there is not to cover the bare minimum of their expenses, but to be generous. What does it mean to send someone in a manner worthy of God? Well, what's God's attitude toward us? Is God stingy toward us, just giving us just enough to scrape by? No, God is generous. God richly blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 1. And so God, if God richly blesses us with every spiritual blessing, then what should be our attitude toward our fellow brothers and sisters? We want to bless them. And they're going, on, they're going out for the sake of the name, and that's an important task to us as a church. And so we want to send them as well as we can. We don't want to say, okay, you're headed, you're headed overseas. We're going to give you just enough for you to make it. But no, we want you to go well we want you to have plenty to be able to make it work. And that, that's communicating to them that we care about them. You are very dear to us. We're sending you out stocked, fully stocked, so that you have enough. You have margin in your life, right? Christina and I have several friends who are in missions, who... who uh, live on the support of others. And we've seen from them, we've heard from them that raising support is, it's just one of the most difficult 
often discouraging aspects of missionary work. Nobody gets into missions work so that they can raise support, right? You, you, you raise support so you can do what you feel called to, to be out on the field, right? But in order to be out on the field, you have to raise that support. And it can be discouraging to them. It can feel like they're constantly having to justify their life and their ministry as they ask friends and family and, and church members to, to support them, right? And they're used to getting that email that says, hey, uh, we need to stop supporting you, right? We're, gonna, we're not going to give financially anymore. They, that happens to missionaries on a regular basis. And now take that situation and put it into the last year. What do you think it's been like for missionaries, right? Think of the financial turmoil of the past 12 months. Many missionaries have lost significant amounts of financial support, right? They have, they have people that are supporting them that lose their job, and so they have to withdraw support. Or churches where they're not able to cover the budget, and so they have to withdraw their support. One of God's graces to Oak Hill the past year is, is in our bulletin. You can see the financial update that by God's grace, through your generosity, we are ahead of our budget. We have, we have had more giving than, we've ha than we have spent. And that's a huge grace to us as a church. And one of the downstream effects of that is that we as a church have not cut a single dollar from our missions budget this year. We have given every, every dollar that we have pledged to our missionaries this year. Do you know what that means to them in, in light of the past year? Do you know what it means to them that we have stood by them financially? Christina and I have uh, good friends. They went to college with Christina and they're in uh, college ministry. They, they raise support, and we've been supporting them financially for a number of years. And there was another uh, couple that we were supporting financially, and they came off the mission field and, and got a different job, and so we didn't have to support them anymore. And so we prayed about it, and we took some of that money that we were supporting these friends with and increased our support to those friends. And we, when, when they heard that we were going to increase our support, and it wasn't a very big amount, I think it was like $25 a month more, but when they heard that we were increasing support without them asking, they were so encouraged. They reached out to us right away and said, you have no idea what this means to us. We, we feel like we constantly have to ask people for more support, and to have you just give it, that that has encouraged us. That spurred us on to keep going, right? And so as a church, we want to do that. That, that leads us into the last point, that support for those advancing the gospel goes beyond finances. So we support them financially, but it means so much more than that. Verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Right? We consider them brothers who their efforts matter to us. Matthew 6.21 tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we give financially to these global partners, to these missionaries, our hearts begin to follow our money. We begin to care about them, not just financially. Every, every believer 
Every church is called to spread the gospel to the nations. Some of them go, the rest of us send. And so a faithful sender doesn't just write a check and forget about it. A faithful sender also prays for that person, looks out for the emotional, spiritual, mental well-being of that, of that family, cares about their whole life, not just their financial life. And so faithful sending is more than money. It's also our hearts. I looked it up. The U.S. military, uh, the, for every soldier, for every one soldier who is on the front lines in a battle, there are five or six soldiers behind them. There are five or six soldiers in a support role. Right? And so 85% of soldiers might not be on the front line, but their hearts are. Their attention is on the front line. Their efforts are uh, aimed at supporting that person on the front line. They're listening to the person that's on the front line. They're responding to their needs. They're in continual contact with them. And those five or six soldiers, they care about the outcome of the battle. They want to see that frontline soldier, first of all, survive, and second of all, succeed. Right? And it should be the same for us as a church. We're here in Humboldt. They're over there in Japan or Kenya or uh, Jordan So we're not there with them, but we care about what they're doing over there, and we care about how they're doing, and if we hear that they have a need, we want to rush to bring support and meet that need and give them what they need to succeed. The drift is always going to be away from that. These people are out of sight, out of mind. It's going to be easy to write a check, drop it in the offering box, and not think about it. So we need to actively fight to keep these people in our minds so that they stay in our hearts. We have these busy lives. Our minds are occupied with what's happening right here in front of us. And so we need to continually be remembering these these people. So let's, let's not be a church that gives money to missionaries. Let's be a church that generously supports missionaries in every way, including financially, so that they would feel loved and known and cared for and remembered, so that the unbelievers that they're working with would experience as few obstacles as possible in hearing the good news about Jesus, and so that the name of Jesus would just be held in the highest honor. Let's pray. Father, make us that type of church. Stir our hearts to love your gospel. Let us be like the church in Antioch that through worship and prayer and fasting, the name of Jesus becomes more and more glorious to us and it spills out into a desire to see the nations be glad. And then as we send people out, help us to support them well. Draw our hearts out and into their lives so that we would care about how they do. Bless us the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.